This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. We're back in, well, what's pretty much become a home from home for us in Twickenham. We're at the Prince Belusha, the lovely Prince Belusha on Twickenham Green. Uh, it's not as sunny as it has been the last couple of days here, and it's a bit overcast, but the, the, the green itself is looking beautiful. Chestnut blossoms out. Um, the pub is looking good, and the beer is tasting mighty fine. So, uh, so yeah, welcome, welcome once again. Um, we've got a pretty lively one tonight. Um, there's been uh, a few Chinese whispers that you may have heard about, which we'll be discussing a little bit later on. Um, we're going to be talking club finance, which can be a tad dull, but it's absolutely critical um, that we kind of get some sort of understanding of, of how much money we're losing or how much money we're making or the implications of selling players and buying players. So we'll be looking a little bit into that. Um, and we've got some fun. We're going to talk to Graham Benstead a little bit later on, um, who's going to be at the um, Besotted Social event at the um, end of season, Bank Holiday Sunday. Um, and we're also going to be talking about Kevin O'Connor, um, King Kev, who was given the Tom Finney Award for longevity and loyalty. So, um, you know, King Kev has been... Uh, been a player who you know he's been in and around the club since he was knee ice of grasshopper. So uh, yeah, we'll have a little chat about him. Um, joining me tonight, um, and there's going to be someone who's going to be dropping in. Billy the Bee is not here at the moment, and he's he's stuck on the Nemesis Revenge at Chessington World of Adventures. I think he's winging his way around the uh, Kingston bypass. Um, so he'll be joining us in a bit, I think. Um, but the people that are here, the loyal ones that have turned up on time, are to my left, Savvy B. Savvy, how are you, mate? Uh, I'm fine, thank you, Dave. Uh, all, all good here, yep. And Mark Croxford. Mark is a, is a regular, or fairly regular, comes on a couple of times a season when I bring him up and trick him into coming on. Um, and he, he was foolish enough to pick the phone up to me yesterday and admit he wasn't doing anything this evening. And by that stage, it was too late. Too late. I'm like a black widow. <laughs> so how are you, Mark? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Dave. It's uh, it's good to be here. I'm amazed I keep getting asked back, but uh, lovely to be here, thank you. Well, you know, we can't we can't live without you, mate. And the Allard, Matt, the Allard, Allard. Um, you weren't here last week, were you? No, no, I missed last week and the week before. Um, I left early, so I will try and see out the full ninety minutes tonight. 
Yeah, well, that's right. We, we had to get rid of him, if you remember rightly. He, was, um, he became very rude, slightly, slightly obnoxious, some would say. Some of us said. So um, he just had to go. Um, but so before we look forward, because we've got a couple of big games coming up this weekend. We've, um, we've got uh, the bank holiday weekend. We've got Derby County on Good Friday, Easter Monday. We've got the schlep up to Barnsley, which we're looking forward to, I think. It's, it's the last long-distance away game of the season. So I think you know, I'm... I'm, I'm Looking forward to this one um, and looking forward to the train journey back, win or lose. I think we'll just kind of start to celebrate, um, you know, what has been a pretty good season. And we've got some really juicy games coming up for the running. Obviously, we've got uh, QPR and Fulham to look forward to. And then we wrap it all up against with Blackburn at home. So, um, so before we look forward, we're going to look back to Cardiff. Cardiff was a bit pre-season, some people call it. But, you know, let's listen to what the fans thought in the pub after the game. Pretty pedestrian match, to be honest. A bit dull. Kind of typical end of season fair, to be honest with you. Didn't play great. Didn't play bad. As you say, two set pieces. You know, it could, could be a different result on, a, on another day. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the pub now, to be honest. After Tuesday, you expected a bit more, aren't you? But it just didn't come out. It looked like a sunny day and the players responded. Pre, like pre-season or end-of-season fair, typical. Yeah. Disappointed that we all travelled down here, really, and they put on... I mean, only Harley really showed any commitment to drive forward. Potter couldn't even cross the ball or pass it. And a few of the other players looked shattered, so disappointed. Well, it's, it's, it's never a bad thing to come to Cardiff. It's one of my favourite cities anyway. Lovely pubs, nice day out, excuse to come here for the football, and just shame their game didn't go quite so well. It, it feels really like a pre-season match. It, it's just one of those games where not really a huge amount happened and... Yeah, players look as if they're ready for summer. No to all of that that we just watched there. Just no to it. No. It's just massively lacklustre. I mean, I thought last week that although we played really, really well, we looked a little bit tired. And I think today we looked we looked really tired. And it was a bit of a sort of a... You could call it a cruise in the first half because we ended up on top of it. But the second half, there, I mean, there was nothing, was there? Nothing at all. That last bit of corner free kick nonsense. And they all just stood there and looked at it. You're like, why am I sitting here if you're just going to stand there? But I think, I think really they just seem to be tired. That's what it looked like to me more than anything. Got Fulham, the F word, still above us. They can be reeled in. There's another five games to go. So three points would most definitely have helped there. So, yes, it matters. And we've got the chance to finish above Villa, which would prove to Scott Hogan he made the wrong choice, which would be nice as well, wouldn't it? Harry Potter's got a Freddie Mercury atom today, and he is absolutely gagging for it. It doesn't really matter. Win or lose, Potter is on the booze. And look, you need a little bit of perspective. You know, this team has built and built and built. And let's not forget, you know, the first dozen games, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't good. It looked a little iffy, and we've come very, very good. We were unlucky today. I say we're unlucky. It was a nothing game today. It was end of season. Let's be honest, it was Cardiff Beach in the sunshine. What more do you want in early April? So there you have it. There was a fairly flat afternoon by the sounds of it. Um, I think the, the day the day at football was ruined by the football. And although we went one up, um, the second half, it was a kind of um, just deja vu. Uh, there was a couple of almost identical goals and Brentford really just didn't do enough to, to get back or get back on equal terms, let alone turn the game around. Uh, Sav, you know, we, we'd seen a couple of really quite impressive or a run of quite impressive performances, you know, and a lot of people were saying, you know, this is what we've got to look forward to next season. It's this kind of attacking flair. You know, what, what, 
is it why aren't we consistent? Why can't? Why didn't that continue? Why did, why did we lose on Saturday? I think it's probably just uh, one game too many on the Saturday Tuesday treadmill. Uh, we put in a lot of effort uh, the Tuesday before against Leeds and played absolutely marvellous football. And I think I think there's that thing about <coughs> uh, whether teams allow us to play. If a team like uh, Bristol City, who needed the points, had to come out and play, teams like Leeds, who needed the points, came out to play, versus teams that don't. And the teams that didn't, were, you know, in that week was Cardiff. They just they could just, you know, um, just defend. They could just push us. They could. They didn't have to actually show any flair. And of course, they typically against us, they get a goal from the corner, and that just seems to be the way we are at the moment. Again, we've got nothing to play for. So after after exertions earlier, I think that's what led to our inconsistency during those those three games. Just the one was one too many. Warnock Warnock did us again. He's he's got a habit of sort of negating attacking flair and um, functional football wins a day sometimes. You know, do we want to compete with these clubs? Do we, do we want to go physical with them? Are we happy just being a more flamboyant team and getting undone sometimes? Or, or should we be able to change our game and uh, kind of sort of out-tactic out, out him? You would love to be able to say that, that the Walnut-type teams, we could, you could out-football, but... But the reality is, you are going to come up against that type of team a couple of few times a season, and, and and there is a little bit of a concern that we just don't have the, the, the physical capability in the, in the middle. I think to to compete with those teams. Um, but having said that, I sort of sacrifice that for watching football eighty percent of the season, and you're going to come up against the, the occasional game where um, you know the, the physicality of the other team is going to prove a bit too much. I think, I think also, in fairness, we haven't seen an awful lot, you described it as pre-season or end-of-season games, we, we haven't seen an awful lot of those in the, in the, in the last few years. And, and again, maybe you just have to accept there's going to be a, a, a few of those. Part of the problem now, if you go, if you go back 20 years, end-of-season games, players were competing for contracts. That's not the case now. I guess the majority of those players on the pitch know what they're going to be doing next season. Lots of them have already got two, three, four-year contracts signed up. There's it's quite difficult for players, I think, sometimes to to you know to give everything in a, in a game uh, that 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 type of game at the end of the season. You've got a couple of big ones coming up, as you said, against Derby and QPR, Fulham. So I just write it off as a one of those unfortunate end of season matches that you don't see too often now. Matt, am I getting or were, were fans slightly uh, some deluded to think that you know we were going to win a fourth game on the spin, or or you know should should we have expected that? Um, I think um, I <laughs> you, you can't. You're not going to win every week. I mean, basically, um, you could make a, you know people. Well, nobody really thought about the playoffs, but but you know you do start to think. Well, why can't we win every week? And and ultimately, I think you know we've we said it a few times on here that, that, that there's a few unfortunate flaws in the team, um, and height is one of them. I think if you look at the goals from Cardiff. Crucial headers are lost by I think it's Sawyer's and Rico Henry. Um, Rico Henry clearly for height, um, you know, um, maybe not so much for Sawyer's, but 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 with this flaw comes the attacking verve of a load of you know skillful athletic players that you know if you, to, to, to find players that have got both, you, I, I, you're probably paying twice 
you know, in terms of wages and stuff. And 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 this is and this is kind of where we are. And um, and we could go out and buy a load of six furs, but they probably wouldn't be technically as good, and we'd probably be rubbish to watch. You know, so you kind of you got a you know. Like you say, you've got to um, enjoy it while you can, and unfortunately, every now and then, it's, we're going to come undone. Talking of attacking flair, you uh, you sort of spotted a little kind of off the off the ball, off the celebration incident after Canos scored on Saturday. I remember you you, you nudged me and said, "Oh, did you see?" Um, well, you you explain the Allard. Well, it was uh, Harley Dean. Harley Dean, bless him. I'm sure it's Harley Dean, um, and and. You know, if I'm wrong, I apologise. But he, he just, he, he. I think he took the ball out of defence and, and 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 he kept going and he kept going and he kept going. So he was the furthest person up the pitch. Um, when Canos scored, he, I think he genuinely appeared disappointed that he hadn't had an opportunity himself, um, having made all that effort. And um, and it is quite funny just to watch him turn around and head back rather than joining the goal celebrations. I'm sure he wasn't sulking, really. I, I, that was just a mag- magical play to, to turn defence into attack. Just a shame, shame there wasn't more of that in, in the second half. Yeah, I mean, he, you could probably make an argument that he drew, he drew a couple of, couple of players out, you know, with a great run, and, um, and the goal was all down to Harley. Well done, Harley. Well done, mate. Um, so, you know, we, we're going to talk about... We, we, we were, we're waiting for Billy still. I think he's queuing up now for the cup and saucers or, the, or, the, or, or one of those things, or the... Ghost, right, ghost train. So, um, yeah, it'll be a beer when he's here. So we, we, he wants to talk about Chinese whispers, so I'll, I'll wait for him to be here. Um, but what I will talk about is the, uh, the, the newspaper article today in The Sun. Um, I don't know if you saw it. Um, it wasn't reported much on the internet. It was, it was pretty much just in The Sun, and obviously on, on some of the bulletin boards, uh, Brentford bulletin boards and on Twitter. But The Sun carried a story um, suggesting that... Um, a consortium or a company called the International Investor Group, which sounds a bit Bond-like, um, they visited, or the, the chairman, the syndicate's chairman, Xian Li, had visited Griffin Park once or twice um, with a view to, to investing or buying the club. Um, this consortium also took over Nice um, on the Riviera um, in the French First Division last summer, um, and Nice are doing particularly well. Um, they bought Mario Balotelli, I don't know if you remember, from Liverpool. He, he failed, he, he was like languishing. I don't think he was even playing with the under-23s. Under I think he was just running around Stanley Park on his own. Um, so, yeah, so, so this, this, this consortium allegedly um, are sniffing. So um, we're going to talk about that after this twang. Good news is Billy has prized himself off the Black Buccaneer at Chesington World of Adventures, and he's and he's joined us now um, to talk Chinese whispers. Uh, he's going to—I don't don't whisper this, Bill. Talk it big and loud. So the Chinese the Chinese takeover, true or false? Uh, well, I say true or false. There is some truth in it, but there's a bigger, little bit bigger picture there. Just before you talk about that, the Black Buccaneer. I, do you know I actually own the Black Buccaneer? You are the Black Buccaneer. <laughs> Apparently, well, we all look the same anyway. But you know, <laughs> oh, you, you know. Who's the, the other one? Andy, and, what's it, Andy? Andy Peters. Andy Peters, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but you know, anyway, we won't go into that. Anyone who knows that out there, and you know exactly what we're talking about. But listen, talking about Chinese whispers, so. There was a story today, which was in one of the newspapers, as Dave has mentioned earlier, which I won't mention the name of it, um, which basically said, um, the headline, Griffin is eyed by dragons. 
Brentford have been targeted by the Chinese investors who took Mario Bellatelli to France. The same group which owns French High Flyers Nice is considered to be a takeover bid. Members, uh, so, and that's very important, is considering a takeover bid. Members of the international investor group, including Chairman Chen Li, have watched games at Griffin Park. They only took over Lee's Nice last summer. But successful recruitment that they've had there, including the signing of Liverpool flop Balotelli, has meant the club are still in the running for France's league title. And then they talk about Chinese people, you know, um, Chinese investors taking over, you know, at Reading and, and other clubs that they're actually sort of investing in as well, which is an interesting scenario. Now, of course, we've sort of seen this earlier. Um, we've had a, bit, a few little bit of smoke, you know, and they say there's no smoke without fire, but we've actually been sort of kind of looking into this for quite a few months as well. Um, as we know, and if you listen back to it, we actually posted up the Matthew Benham interview from a year ago. And uh, Matt actually said, you know, at, at, at that, around about that time, you know, for Brentford to move on, you know, that he may be looking at, you know, additional investment to put in at some stage, but it wasn't anything that was, you know, concrete. It's just like, you know, at some stage, it could be six months, a year, two years, three years, four years, like that. We might look at an additional investment. Um, and then down the years, we've actually had a few little things that have come into us as well. And there was one which we actually did try and investigate where actually a, a Bees fan who was, who was actually, uh, who, who we respect a lot as well, he was, in a, he was, he was actually out and he was with um, Rio Ferdinand. And Rio Ferdinand came in and said, oh, by the way, I've heard your club's been taken over by this consortium. And news came into us, they put it into us, we actually put our word out there, we put it around and came back again. And, you know, there was nothing really solid, so we haven't really kind of mentioned it as well. But I think, you know, to so say there's no smoke without fire as such. And yes, for sure, the, we've actually gone over to our Chinese, we've got Chinese contacts as well. So we've gone over to our Chinese contacts. And yes, it is true that this uh, investment group is actually looking into um, investing in Brentford. Is this something that fans should be worried about, or is this kind of inevitable if we're looking to grow? Well, again, and just coming back to this, I mean, is it something that fans are worried about? Actually, in the day, this, you know, this is our club, you know, even though we we don't own it as such but you know we all feel that this is our club so naturally we would like to know what is happening with our club and this is kind of a little bit of a bolt out the blue um interestingly only a couple of days ago Brentford um or a couple of weeks ago Brentford filed their end of year accounts and the end of year accounts have come out as everyone knows we had our last year's end of year accounts and a lot of people had their eyebrows raised because of the amount of money that we were losing the amount of money that was being pumped into the club um this year we have actually lost you may may not know that we've lost 7.6 million pounds um pre-tax this year which is cut from 15 million last year so we're actually kind of um, cut our losses to a certain extent this year but if you look at the figures Matthew Benham is still putting in and he's actually still keeping the club going you know so he's actually still putting in a certain amount of money each year it, again it was in a different article I think he probably I think he put in about 13 to 15 million pounds this year to you know to keep things going so we've lost 7.6 million pounds this year um, the reason why we've done a lot better than we have the previous years is that we made a lot of money from the transfers from the previous year so it's Andre Gray or the Barju you know um, Dallas, Tarkowski. these players, you know, Tarkowski. So we we made a lot of money from them, which didn't go into the previous accounts where we looked like we lost a lot of money. That money has come in, so we've actually made fifteen million pounds this year. And everyone says, "Oh, I got fifteen million pounds," but the fact is, actually, over the years, we've actually spent a lot of money. And the amount of money, and it's coming up to, and, and there's a figure from last year. Don't forget, this is from June two thousand and sixteen that uh, Matthew Benham has actually put into the club is £90 million. So he's put £90 million in. The club's losing sort of 
seven and a half, ten million, twelve million, fifty million pounds a year, and that's going to go. Now, of course, that may change if we do one or two things. We either cut our spending. Um, so we need to cut our spending by quite a lot, which means that we have to cut everyone's wages and the amount of people working for the club and all this kind of stuff. Or we get more money in, and the more money we need to get in for sponsorship and all that was not really going to happen, and more crowds, but we can't get that much. Or we get a Premier League. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, there's probably a few other little formulas and they get a bit more sponsored. Yeah. But really, that's kind of the scenario. So at the moment now, it's almost like we're towing or losing a little bit of money. But, you know, the, the Premier League thing is the thing that's going to actually kind of blow that all away. Now, we're doing all right, considering. A lot of people don't, may, may not think that we are, but we're actually doing all right, considering, you know, we're probably going to end up as a top te 10 team again and we'll do all right and we'll lose, you know, seven and a half million you know, so at the end of the day, we keep ending up top 10, top 10, top 8, you know, lose 7 million, 10 million a year. The owner puts in 15 million a year. And, you know, we carry on doing that. <laughs> the question we've asked this for years is how long can we keep doing that? How long can we keep doing that? And like I said, I think Benham's in indicated times if we're going to go to that next level, we might need a little bit of an extra push. We need a little bit of extra finances. I'm, you know, I'm happy to put in 30 million, 50 million a year. I've got to tip me out to him. I mean, I, I couldn't do that, you know. But maybe if to do that, we need somebody to put in X amount of money so that we might have to raise our wage bill higher so we can keep the players instead of losing them after a year or two so that we can actually go for that push. And maybe this is kind of a very big crux moment for Brentford now where they're saying, we now need to get this investment in. So it looks like if it's not this group here, this Chinese group, who, like I said to you, they've been very successful at Nice, put some money in. Um, they've, um, they've, they've put the money into Nice, and Nice are now third in the, in the table. I think they're about five points off the top, Monaco at the top. They're doing very well. I think the different situation with the Nice scenario as opposed to our scenario is that they've gone in and they own 80% of Nice. So it's kind of a takeover. They own Nice, 80% of Nice. From listening to our Chinese um, contacts out there, it's not going to be a sort of takeover of Brentford. It, it looks like it's going to be coming in as a more of a partnership thing, whether or not it's this lot in or whether it's going to come in on more of a, you know, 50-50 type scenario. You know, it's going to be more of a sort of sharing situation, um, which means that, uh, the, in effect, the, the owner, uh, the current owner, will still have much more um, control over the scenario. So, I mean... A lot of fans will be slightly concerned that the, now things are starting to go right again and there's a lot of optimism, there's a lot of excitement for the next season, that this could be a, a, you know, a slight threat, almost like it could derail the great work that's been done or the, the work that's building. Is it, you know, again, is, do you just see this as essential? If you know we can't, we couldn't, we can't rely on one person, you know, to succeed or get to the top flight. You just need stupid money. I mean, for me, again, I can't answer that question because it's not my money, and you just don't know. And, and you know, you know, Matt Benner might be happy to spend for another five years the same kind of money that he's spending now. Um, we may have a situation like, say, for example, if we'd gone up two years ago and we got to the Premier League it may be a completely different scenario because all of a sudden you've got 125, 150 million apart, even if you come back down, then all of a sudden it's like your kind of finances completely changes, but maybe it's got to the situation, and I said to you, I'm, this is me talking as me and just looking, doing a bit of analysis, that maybe after four or five years, maybe he's thinking, I'll tell you something, I need someone to come in with me to sort of take it to that next level, and, uh, and this is the way that I want to go about doing it. Now, from a business perspective, I think that is... You know, that is 
fine because that is just kind of what happens. But from a football fan perspective, obviously we talked about last year, last week about your audience and your, you know, your Blackpools to a certain extent, and you know your Cardiffs and sort of people coming in and investing in these clubs, and then not doing the right thing. Um, for us, all of a sudden, we we as fans have a sort of slightly scary situation because. Matt Benham comes in, Brentford fan, throws a load of money in, everyone trusts him. Yeah, brilliant, okay, he's great. Okay, there's some people out there that's not happy for some reason, but in general, most people are thinking, this is really brilliant, we're doing a lot better. But now, there's a kind of grey scenario where you've got sort of kind of a set of people who kind of seem to do the same thing as they do to other football clubs coming in because they're sort of kind of people who are not really football people, but kind of money people, investors, who want to come in and be a part of our club and we, as the fans, don't kind of really know anything about them as such. Okay, they've, they've done the Nice thing and they've done it all too good. But, you know, you don't, you, you don't really know what the history is. They haven't been in it for long enough. They only took over Nice 12 months ago. You know what I'm saying? 2016, so that's 12 months down the line, you know. What will they be like three or five or eight years down the line? What are they going to be like? Are they going to be like, listen, we just like what you guys are doing. Is it all, you know, cool? We'll, we let, we'll just let you do what you want to do, but we'll just put more money into do it. Or are they going to want to take a massive control over what's going on, you know, alongside of who else they're working with? So will, will Benham have to work with them together for the ideas? Because, you know, if they're putting in... Hundred million pounds or like that, they're going to have to want to have some sort of say, I'm sure. Like you know, so these are the questions as fans that we're sort of thinking. And for us, how does how does it work for us? You know, what's it going to be like? What's the going to be? Like? Are we going to lose the vibe that we've had? You know, are they going to go? All right, you know, we need to be in Premier League in two years' time, and if it doesn't, you know, the Chinese though. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> not German, mate. Not German. Yeah. Just, uh, um, you know, this, it seems to be there's a lot to be taken on board here for Brentford fans. You know, there's there's you know the there's the, the you know not the threat. It's, we are we are leaving Griffin Park. You know, we, we've got we, we're we're leaving our proud old stadium. Um, we it's, it's a leap, that's a leap into the unknown, and we've also now found out that you know this isn't a fact. It's not happening tomorrow, but it's a it's a it's a likelihood at some stage in the short term, medium term that's a an investor more likely than not to be foreign because that's the way football's going. More likely not to be Chinese is going to come in and and fundamentally change the the landscape of our football club. You know, as a as a fan, what you know, what are we supposed? To, you know, there's a lot to take on. Well, uh, I must admit to a bit of uh, trepidation. I think that's only natural when any sort of change is afoot. Uh, but I can see uh, a, s- a scenario where it could work. If an investor is coming in and saying, we really like what you're doing, Mr. Mr. Benham, um, I won't do the Chinese accent, but uh, we really like what you're doing. We think that you, with a bit of investment, you can actually make it work. You can get to the promised land. You can earn $120 million a year from the TV in the Premier League. And if they come in on that basis uh, and trust Matthew Benham to carry on doing what he's doing and build, build up the club for the long term, their investment could pay off. It's a kind of gamble that I believe Chinese investors... Uh, might might be interested in. If it's a takeover, I would be a lot less happy about anyone who isn't a Brentford fan taking over the club. So. I mean, I'll just say for a fact is that the, the, I think the takeover option, and again, Matt Benham said a year ago when we spoke to him about it, not interesting anybody taking over the club as such, because takeover basically means that he's selling it to someone else. It's not a scenario 
again, said it a year ago, looking for partners to come in to help build the club. So if it's a situation, like I said to you, if anything, it'll be more of a 50-50, 60-40, but 50, you know, 60-40 to Ben or 50-50 type situation, probably more likely, which means that somebody's coming in at least on an equal partnership as opposed to just coming point blank. And I think that's very important because I got very nervous when I saw this takeover word in the newspaper, right? And I'd say to them that they've, they've got that wrong because it isn't a takeover, if it happens. Uh, you know, beside Chinese um, Mole, um, he seems to have been busy burrowing today, finding out some facts. But um, Mark, do you, do you see this as um, a recognition, exciting recognition of the way, the direction we're going and the great or good work or the potential that outsiders see in our club? Or do you see this as a threat and it changing the, the fundamental makeup and the, the DNA of our club? I think the first thing to say is that Brentford, I think, is starting to be seen now as, as an established championship club. And I think that changes the, the whole external perception of the club. And that, you know, that almost makes issues such as this inevitable. I think any form of, of external investment has to be a, a, a cause for, for, for slight concern. And shared ownership concerns me as well, because I think there's risks involved in that. But the only thing I would say is, from, on a fairly simplistic point of view, Matthew Benham has, has, has gambled, if you like, to get us to where we are now. And he's not done a bad job on it so far. And if it means a bit more gambling to take us to the next stage, so be it. I'm happy to, to go with that. In business, if you've got a great concept, we've seen it on Dragon's Den... We've seen it on lots of programmes. You've got a great idea and you've, you've, you've grown something to a certain level. To take it to that next level, sometimes you just need, you just need an injection. You need someone else to come in and, and either halve, halve, the, halve the risk or, or halve, halve the investment um, or you know, have, have two, two people putting that, that amount of time into it. Matt, what, what do, how do you see this panning out? How, how, how did you take today's news? Um, I, I, I have an element of concern without knowing the details, mainly because of what we've seen everywhere, even if you go to Birmingham and you know the removal of Rowett and um, Zola put into a, you know, when, when I think it's when, when people get too involved in the football that, that just want to play football or whatever, that's, that, that's where I think the dangers are. So I guess th this is about, you know, to some extent, um, you know, the hierarchy at Brentford, if they are going to, um, you know, bring in some investment, making sure it's the right people, making sure, you know, the contracts are set down, making sure that, I mean, to be honest, signing Mario Balotelli isn't a great um, advert for for um, for somebody getting involved in a football club, although I have, I have just checked he scored 13 goals in 19 games, so maybe, you know, what do we know? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's funny, actually, that, you know, the, um, the paper that reported this, managed to get back Mario Balotelli in within the first sentence or two, um, and then um, this is what you're dealing with, Brentford. Um, uh, I guess that is how, how that newspaper makes yeah, yeah, Brentford yeah. newsworthy, is by putting like an, an A-list player in there. Um, yeah, but it was if it hadn't if it had been some other A-list player that, you know, it, it, this is all about Mario Balotelli and, and, um, and how, you know, he, there's a reason his name is there, not because he's A-list, because he's A-list and well, it's probably B-list, to be honest, in trouble. That's why his name's there. Um, half, you know, is it half the investment, half the rewards? Is that, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't quite know how this works and stuff like that, but, but you know, does it, 
is it as clear um, that, that the financial windfall is then reinvested into the club? Um, you know, if we do get to the Premier League through it. Um, that, that's the only other sort of point I would make. But of course, I don't really know much about how this thing works. Bill, coming, coming back to you, you know, obviously this is the big news of today, really. I mean, you know, you need the last word on this. The important, the important news is, um, was, was um, the, the uh, was Nemesis Revenge or the Black Buccaneer the best ride at Chessington World of Adventures? I don't think Nemesis was there, actually. So the Black Buccaneer... A day's holiday? Uh, sorry, Nemesis, was he away? He'd he, he done a run, actually, you know what I'm saying? But the Black Buccaneer was absolutely fantastic, you know, and the, the kids actually went on it three times, you know what I'm saying, but only because I owned it, so they didn't have to pay anything extra for it, like, you know what I'm saying? So just coming back to this investment situation, I think as fans, OK, listen, this is going to happen, you know, whether or not it's this deal, which, like I said, probably sounds like it's very early days, and it may not happen, you know, but the intention is there, so whether or not it's this deal or another deal or another deal six months, a year, 18 months down the line... Brentford are obviously looking to go to another level to work in partnership with somebody so that we get more finances so that we can actually start to challenge and, and basically fight against your Sheffield Wednesdays and your Derby counties and the, you know your, your teams that come down from the just Sunderlands and all these other teams as well. Okay, so this is going to happen. So as fans, of course, trepidation for myself, we've all talked about trepidation here, they need to, fans need to be kind of like, you know, they need to know what's going on. Um, so you need to have a little bit of knowledge or a lot of knowledge about who's coming in who's coming in what are they like what are they doing you do a bit of research I've tried to do a little bit of research on these Nice guys as well and uh, there's not too much you know they've put money into it but how much do they you know interfere is probably not the right word but how much input do they have into Nice or do they just say listen you guys you're great you just get on and do what you want to do or you know have they got a lot of input in there do they say listen you have to do it, but you have to sign Balotelli because we want a big name player. Because you know, in China, you know, this is what's going to really work for. I don't, I don't know how this kind of game works there. So it's, it's that. It's how the fans feel about how their club's going to change. How, and, you know, how's the club's going to change? You know, we go to new stadium. You know, the new stadium. We move to a new stadium. You know, are, are, are these, all these rules going to be set into place? Because for us, we need to really think that we don't want to have a. We're nervous of having a. Cardiff type situation where Cardiff all the fans went brilliant we got more money coming in we went up to the Premier League and then all of a sudden it all went a little bit horribly wrong so the, the positive thing obviously is that Matt Benham is still involved and from what I can gather is that if anything did happen he was still very much involved in that but I think that the key situation is that you know it's almost like we want your money but we want it on our terms the fans want it on our terms we want our club to be the way that we want it to be and to move forward the way that it wants to be. And if you're happy to come to the party, throw a bit of money into the pot and we all kind of celebrate and, and we can actually get better than that, that's fine. But I think there needs to be quite a lot of fan input over the next sort of kind of three to six to 12 months. Bias needs to get involved, you know, GBG, all the characters need to get involved to have a conversation so that everyone feels comfortable, I think, about any situation that's going to happen because it's obviously going to happen. I think it's, it's probably, you know, you're right on this topic, but it's, it's one of those that we need to be, we need to be sort of more involved on across the board. Yeah. You know, we're working hard and we're, you know, we're building relationships and we, we chat with a lot of people involved with the club um, on, on, on on ways to, to make things better on behalf of the fans and to make sure, especially that you know the legacy of the club and the history of the club is recognised. So we can we can not only look forward with with excitement, we can look back with pride, and it's kind of helping. Bridge, bridge this transition, and, and and exactly what you're saying, and, and we're coming back to it. And 
like I said, we talked about this a lot. And again, listen back to the conversation that we talked about last week about your Orient and about all these other clubs and, you know, and Charlton. I said, but my argument with these clubs is that when somebody came in and said, I want to pay, spend some money on your, these clubs, I want to put some money into Orient. Everyone went, ah, brilliant, fantastic. That's great because he sounds like he's really going to, you know, he's going to do really well. Then six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years later, he's a bit of a nightmare bloke. So, but how can you actually kind of, you know, you can't see that in, 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 up front. As, as the few discussions that we've had, you say, how can fans kind of, you know, um, protect against this and clubs protect against this? They say, obviously, the fit and first, proper person's test. You know, obviously, if we've got somebody in our club who's working together with them already, they're not going to go and bring a rogue trader in to just kind of like wreck the club. That's the first thing. But the second thing is also is that if fans are so important, maybe they should still be in the mix. You know, they talk about the German fans always being on the board, making the, you know, the decisions, and they're all part of that whole decision-making process. So all of a sudden, it becomes quite, you know, um, you know, transparent what's going on there, and the fans have got a real say and a real say. And maybe this is a scenario where, in the UK, we do need to have this situation. So we've got this scenario here where these guys are going to come in, you've got Matt Benham doing that, but maybe there's a fans situation in there as well where they're actually kind of protecting... The the, the, the the history and the honour and, 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 the, and the vibe and the, the ethos of the club as well for us that'd be great you can imagine with an investor probably could, oh my god I don't want to get involved because if the fans are involved I can't really do what I want to do but my argument is that maybe if this was actually made a rule within football in this country it would actually kind of be much better for football clubs as a whole Mark, what do you think? You know, how, how important is the, the traditions of the club um, and the, the legacy and the heritage? Is how, how, how important is that to be preserved whilst we kind of embrace this big world of pushing for the Premiership? I, I, I think it's absolutely vital, but, but I'm, I'm confident that the people at the club already, they, they've made a big issue of, of, of um, this sort of over the last few years, really acknowledging that the club's moving forward, acknowledging that, that the club's the club's growing, it's developing, but but that um, that sort of supporter base, that 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 ethos, um, has been important to them. It's been a, a priority, and they've constantly talked about making sure that that's retained. And so it's 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 crucial that it is. But I'm confident that it can be. But the people who are involved at the moment, as long as there's still an involvement by those people in the future, I don't see any reason for that to change. Sav, there's, there's, there's some people that think having a Danish director of football is outrageous and they're, they're almost burning effigies of Danes in the forecourt. How, how, how are they going to see Chinese investment in, in Brentford Football Club? Uh, frankly, I don't care, uh, to be honest. Um, I think, I mean, what, why I wanna, why I, my, my issue is with the investment and how that works. I think, I mean, you can, you can all... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't financial fair play still hold? So we can invest uh, an, an owner, doesn't matter if they're Chinese or, or Matthew Benham, can only invest up to 13 million a year uh, or lose 13 million a year, I can't remember which way around it is, uh, or 39 million over three years, which is more pertinent. Um, but having a Chinese investor or any kind of investor coming in with Matthew is going to have very little effect on that. What it will do is it will halve or reduce the amount that Matthew Benham loses each year. And I think that's important. If he feels he needs that, absolutely he needs to go and get an investor. And it doesn't really matter where the money comes from. I think as long as Matthew Benham is running the club, I think most of us will still be happy. Matt, isn't it about time you put your hand in your pocket for 100 million? Well, that's, and, and that's why, you know, you have to... Um 
sort of temper what you say and what and, and what you think. And a lot of people spout off stuff. There's, you know, I think the same people to some extent think we should be in the Premier League are the same people that you know think the club's making money or shouldn't be selling players to to you know because because actually you know there's this dream world out there that you can lose 30 million 40 million a year um, and and keep existing and that financial fair play doesn't come into it so that you know I I, I, I understand the finance well I don't understand the finances actually because I'm not that clever <laughs> but, um, but but I appreciate appreciate the finances I think rather than understand them um, so I can see you know I can see exactly where we you know where we are um, um, I'll be a bit flippant and I'm a little bit worried that we might be moved to the Midlands with all the other Chinese-owned football clubs. That, is, is, that, is that a possibility? Uh, I don't think we'll move to the Midlands. I think, this is, uh, I think they'll start to buy up the whole of London clubs. Ironically, probably not Orient, which, um, which is a shame because they're probably the ones that need the Chinese investment the most at the moment. So, you know, this one's going to run and run. This isn't the last time we talk about um, takeovers, investment, um, part ownership, whatever, you know, we, I think we're going to become quite intimately uh, au fait with some, some of the finer financial ramifications of the running of our football club. And, you know, I'm afraid we can't have it both ways. You can't, you, 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 have, to, you have to understand these things now. If we're, if we're making demands or there's expectations of us being pushing for promotion or, or challenging the top of the league... That's not going to happen by waving a magic wand. So you know, unless unless you kind of study and speak to you know, besides Chinese correspondents, then you know you're not really going to you know you don't really get a sort of a, a 360 degree grasp of really what's going on. Super Kev O'Connor, there you go. Super Kev O'Connor, 501 games for Brentford, one club man. Uh, Super Kev, King Kev. Just Mr. Loyal, Mr. Brentford. Um, he's the playing playing equivalent of Peter Gillum. It, it, it would be, but without the beard and slightly greyer, I think. <laughs> I think I saw Peter Gillum celebrate his birthday. He's looking very, 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 very dapper for uh, for someone of his age. Let's put it. Um, so yeah, Kev O'Connor. He was um, given the EFL Tom Finney Award for long service. Um, really, really deserved winner. There's you know, very few examples in this day and age, and certainly going forward, it's very difficult to see how a player will will stay at one club um, for over a decade, let alone five, you know, 500 matches, which is phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, obviously congr- congratulations to Kev O'Connor for that, and obviously just, it just, it's a good, timely reminder of exactly what an achievement that was. Um, Matt, Kev O'Connor, can we just, like, look back and reflect on his career and, you know, just that kind of recognition. You know, what does what does Kevin O'Connor epitomise to you? And have you got any memories of him? Um, he's just, I mean, he, he, you know, he's, he's kind of Brentford, isn't he? I mean, he, everything about him. He's, um, I think, he's always come across really well. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not. Obviously, I never saw him playing goal, um, but he must have played in virtually every position on the park at some point. I mean, I can, you know, I remember his early days when. When we thought he might be, um, you know, a free-scoring centre forward, which clearly he didn't turn out to be. Um, but um, you know, he's he's a he's a. You, do you know what I mean? It's, do you know it's so hard not to use cliches when you describe him. But he's a model pro. He, you know, he's just you know one club man, um, and um, and 
I only have, and I hate to bring a down on it, but my only con- he he almost looks like he's being groomed to become coach at some point, head coach, and 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 that always worries me because that doesn't always go well. Um, but apart from that, you know, in a way, I hope he doesn't do it, just because I wouldn't want to see any sort of fallout. It'd be really awful um, for it to end up that way. So. Um, yeah, but but that's, he hasn't that's, put a foot wrong yet, and I and I hate to bring that up and, and put a downer on things. That is a, that's a bit of a doom and gloom ending. It's a slightly realistic one, probably. I, I, I'm not I'm not sort of saying that's inaccurate. The, ch- the chances of any manager not getting sacked is almost impossible anyway. Let alone a club a club legend. But I do think I do think it's good. It's a it's a lovely ending for the club to be helping him on that coaching route, yeah, Where, whether yeah. whether it's at Brentford or it's elsewhere. Yeah, and that element of it, I agree 100%, because it's brilliant that he's, be, you know, he's, he's, he's been given the opportunity, the club have stood by him, and, and, and they're paying him back, aren't they? And it's great. Um, and that's really, really good. I just don't like where it ends up. See, I've got a slight feeling that Marcello Trotter is actually paying his wages now, because just, just because he feels, still feels so guilty for nicking the ball. Um, from that penalty against Doncaster on the final day of the season. That's, unfortunately, for all the great things that Kevin O'Connor has done for our football club and will continue to do, that incident kind of, I don't think I can ever get out of my head. The penalty he, was, he should have taken and wasn't allowed mm. to, and that, that little kind of, kind of eyes, and they couldn't have a hissy fit because there was like 12,000 people looking at them, and it was just like, I don't know, he, sh- he should have grabbed it off of him. and Well, maybe not, maybe not looking back. Mark... Kevin O'Connor, memories and, and what do you think this award means to him and the football club, really? I think it's a, it's a fantastic award for him. I'm sure he's incredibly proud to have received it. And I think the football club should be very proud as well that they've got a, a player like Kevin O'Connor who's, who's been such a, um, you know, such a, a loyal man over the years. And as Matt said, he, he is Mr Brentford in, in some ways. I think a lot of the, the memories, without, I don't want to go back to the, the Doncaster incident again, but... Penalties played a big part in Kevin O'Connor's Connor's career. I, I remember early on, in, very early on in his career, seeing him take three penalties in, in one game at Bournemouth in a cup tie. And I guess that must be quite a rarity. I think he scored he scored two and missed one, but, but three penalties is, is, is a rarity in a game. Um, I also remember him blasting a penalty, one of the few players, to balloon a penalty over the Ealing Road Terrace in a home game. I think that might have been in a relegation season under... Scott Fitzgerald, but um, but I think one of my, my one of my best memories of Kevin O'Connor was after the, the Doncaster incident and the missed penalty the week later at Swindon when we got the last minute penalty in the playoffs and he stepped up to take it and I, and I remember feeling I'm not a particularly emotional person but I felt quite emotional for him when he took that penalty and scored because that must have taken a huge amount of courage last minute of a, of a, of a playoff game after what had happened seven days earlier. And, um, you know, I, I think things like that, that, that will, something like that is my lasting memory of him, really. Sounds like he's um, had some terrible accident, <laughs> but he's not. He's very, he's very well. He's very, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's the B team coach, and he and he sounded and he looked he looked good on uh, Sky on on Saturday morning when he was talking about his award. I think I could try and put the clip on in a second. But Sav, um, same questions to you, really. You know, what what does Kevin O'Connor epitomise, and what do you think the significance of the award is to him and the club? I think I think he's well earned. Certainly, I mean, he's you know not only been there a long time, but. Uh, he was actually a really, really good player as well. We, we mustn't forget that. Uh, you know, I mean, there was there was times when 
towards the end when he was sort of superseded, where you know he was getting older and younger, you know, quality players were coming in, you know, with when we were really going for it. And so, you know, he, he was struggling to get into the side then. But over the years, he's been absolutely fantastic for us. And the one that I remember most, uh, the, the period where I thought he was absolute quality, was 2006. It was Martin Allen's last year. <coughs> and we, we were doing really well, obviously, Martin Allen. We were really going for it. And I think it was in February. We just sold DJ. And uh, it's around February, end of February, um, he got injured. And he was out for the rest of the season. And we were absolute pants for the rest of that season. He was our standout player that season, and we missed him so much. And that's when we faltered. We could have gone up if he was if he remained um, fit. So you know, so he, he has been absolutely brilliant for us in the past. And let's not forget that. Yes, it's been a long period. Some might say, some might say it's because he was never good enough to to get snapped up by another team. You know, further up. Um, but you know that that's fair enough. You know, he's, he's been a fantastic League One player. And uh, we shouldn't forget that. No, there's, I mean, there's obviously lots of, there's always lots of factors in, in someone playing 500 games that aren't in the top flight. You know, if you play 500 games, if you're, you know, you're, you're a Beckham or you're, a, you're one of those kind of players, or you know, then you're at the very, very elite of world football. You know, and Kevin O'Connor, he, he won't claim to have ever have been that either. So, you know, you're right. I think the top, well, I think the, the, the best part of all the story is the timing, the serendipity of the timing of him coming to the end of his career and Brentford reaching and getting promotion mm. and um, him training to get his coaching badges and all that. It was, it was almost like planets aligned there. You know, we, it, it allowed a really natural stepping down. Um, no, no sort of sent out on loan and no flogged off to Wickham and none, none, of, none of that. It was a, just a very natural transition from footballer and club captain into into you know coaching and and training with the youngsters and 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 let's be honest as the club hit a higher trajectory um i think a lot of clubs would have jettisoned probably at that point um and fair play to brentford you know because because it's it's not like we've stayed where we were when 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 kevin was coming to the end towards the end of his career you know we've moved on leaps and bounds but but we've stood by you know he's he like in this whole we we got this new club and we're doing things differently and but but we still got Kevin O'Connor, who's kind of he's the one thing that kind of is our is you know has, has been there all along. And, and what brilliant kind of um, tutoring as well, you know, for, for whatever happens in our future, this this what's happening at Brentford now, other clubs are sitting up and taking note. And for Kevin O'Connor to be sort of central to that B team and you know this new B team, which a lot of clubs now are putting under the microscope and working out whether they want to ditch their academies now and follow our model, you know. Kev, his 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 worth or his value is is it must have increased, um, whether he stays at Brentford or not. It, it would appear that he, he's got a, a bright future in the game. Is that something you you agree with, Mark? Yeah, definitely. I, I think he's. You only need to listen to to the way in which he's spoken about by some of the young players at the club as to um, the, the high regard they have for him. And I think also if you if you just go back a, a year or so, a couple of years when after Mark Warburton had gone and Dykhausen came in and they talked about Kevin O'Connor playing a, a big role in being sort of the link between the, the old Brentford and, and the, new, the new team coming in and, and saw him as, you know, as being someone who was integral to that. And I think um, all, the, all those sort of things um, just indicate the sort of regard he's held in. And I, 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 think, he'll, I think he'll be at Brentford for a, for a long time, um, maybe 
as the B team progresses on to whatever comes next as, as far as they're concerned, I think he's got a big role to play in that. Oh, but mate, why don't we just raise our glasses and chink it to Kev O'Connor. Kev O'Connor. And here's Kev talking about his award on Sky last Saturday. <laughs> 2017 EFL Awards, I should say, former Brentford captain Kevin O'Connor here alongside us because he will be presented with the Sir Tom Finney Award, awarded to a player who's had an exceptional career in the EFL. Uh, previous winners include Kevin Phillips and Kevin uh, Davis. Uh, I don't think the Kevin has anything to do with it. There seems to be a, a pattern there. Uh, but Kevin, first of all, uh, congratulations to you. One club man, 20 years uh, man and boy as Brentford as a player, over 500 appearances. How does it feel to win this award? And did you have any inkling that it was coming your way? Uh, no, I had no idea. The manager came to me one day and said he'd nominate me for an award. And then next year I know I've been awarded this and it's, it's a massive honour. I'm very surprised but very proud at the same time. Just to be associated with the name of Sir Tom Finney on the trophy, it's just beyond my wildest dreams really, so just really proud and yeah, delighted. It is such a prestigious award, isn't it? But it also gives everyone an opportunity to look back over your career, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I suppose what, it does, yeah. What stands out for you? What's your highlight? Um, the obvious ones would be two promotions that I had when I was in the team and in the squad and also just uh, my final hundredth appearance when we'd already won the league the last day of the season, it couldn't have worked out any better and just the, the ovation I got when I walked onto the pitch from the fans and the players, that, that always stayed with me, so that'll be my, my one highlight, I think. Yeah, so you retired back in uh, 2015, still a relative young man, that was after 20 years at Brentford, and you, you're still at Griffin Park as well, just tell, um, us, tell us what you're up to now. Uh, the club very nicely offered me the chance to go into my coaching under Mark Warburton initially, which I took on, and, and now I'm currently running the B team, so I'm the head coach for that, which is obviously trying to get the, the younger players into the first team, so it's a, it's a big challenge which I'm really enjoying and yeah, look, looking forward to doing it even more. And um, Dean Smith's now head coach, it's been quite a solid season hasn't it, um, currently 12th. How do you feel that they've progressed under Dean Smith? Uh, I think he's, he's come in and really stabilised the club at times and he's brought in some good players, especially since January. We've, we've got a lad back from Spain, Yotta, and he's, he's brought Sergio Canis back permanently and we've got a few good other players, so the team are looking really really uh, positive and really bright and scoring lots of goals. So it's, it's really exciting and on a good run at the minute. So we're looking forward to next season. The besotted social. It's something that we're getting very, very excited about. It happens on Bank Holiday Sunday, April the 30th uh, in Ealing. And we've got a great lineup. We have absolutely... I, I say it's one of the, probably the best lineups of characters and storytellers we've had so far. Um, got... We've got Billy Manuel and Graham Benstead from the first division days, we shall call them, or should we call them League One? Well, what, what was it? It was the championship, the equivalent of where we are now, our one season at that level. They, they, were, they were real characters. They were a central part of that team. Um, Benno helped, you know, he was part of the, the Peterborough um, championship the, when we pipped Birmingham to the title. And never, never to be forgotten seasons for anyone that was around. So that, those two... They're there, they're going to be on stage, we're going to be in conversation with them. Also, we've got Gary Roberts and we've got Francis Joseph. Again, two really, really inspirational attacking players. Two, two, they, were, they were players of an era. Um, they, you know, I don't know how they would compare to, to, to the current crop, to the cohort of, of this day and age, but they play a huge part in our history as well. We've, we talk about history a lot on this podcast. We're going to be talking about it a lot going forward as well. We have to recognise that these players, have, they've, they've been stalwarts for us. So it's not only those four, 
Um, we've got a, at least a dozen other players that are going to be there that night. That are going to be milling around, chatting with fans at the bar, um, sharing jokes and stories, and having a dance, having a boogie, just just having a lot, just have, messing around. Um, players like Terry Evans, Jamie Bates. Um, we've got Pat Cruz. We've got Terry Rowe. We've got. Um, who else is going to be down there? We've got uh, Bob Booker, I think, is going to come down for the night. Uh, the, the, you know, Iger Anderson, um, Carl Hutchins. This is going to be really, real good laugh. We've got comedian, we've got magicians, complimentary drink until it runs out, and then we've got a buffet. It's 20 quid. Um, check out um, www.besotted.co.uk slash legends. That will take you to the link. Um, but as a little taster to this, we've lined up um, Graham Benstead for a, a little podcast interview tonight. Billy's gone off home now after talking about um, Chinese whispers, and he's going to interview Benno. And the, um, the lads around the table with me now, we're going to talk about our Graham Benstead memories because he, you know, it was an exciting era. Um, we were we waited so long, Matt. Matt. We waited so long to go to the to get promoted out of League Three, Division Three, the third tier, and we did it. And Benno was he was the goalkeeper. Talk to me about Benno as a player and what are your memories of him? Um, I he just was. I don't know. He was just there at a time, wasn't he? When um, I mean that season. When you think back, I, the thing is, is because of what's happened the last three or four years, it 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 sort of. Um, it, it's maybe lost a little. Has it lost a little bit? Um, maybe it probably hasn't actually. But but I think we've become a bit used to success, and whereas we all know, you know, what it's been like for so many years. And that season was just, you know, I don't. I, I know we've been in the playoffs the season before, but it didn't. I, I wasn't convinced that 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 we were. You know, I I, I don't think I was convinced our names were on it. Really, that sense of relief and euphoria. Uh, that though, I mean, it was just, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm still surprised it happened. Really, that we didn't, that we didn't blow it at Peterborough. Um, I, you know, I still don't know how we didn't blow it to some extent. And, and, and Benham, you know, and, and sorry, Benstead, Benham, Benstead, and Graham Benstead. You know, he 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 really did play his part in it. Um, he was a right. He was a real character. I mean, I, I think we're going to talk about our memories, and, and my memory was, and I do always worry about whether I make these things up or whether they actually did happen. But my memory is that we, is that after the, um, the the Peterborough win, we were back at Griffin Park, and the players came out on the on the um, on the, you know, and came out to to see all the fans and that, and um, they probably had a few beers on the way back, and um, and Benstead had these sort of glasses these big silly glasses on and he and he was singing um he was singing um you need hands over the microphone until somebody grabbed the microphone off him and um and that, that's my memory if it didn't happen then then um, um you know i'll have to try well, and forget it but, that, but that's how i remember it but matt i mean you are a, a huge max bygrace fan well indeed so i was you know i was thinking oh this is an interesting you know this is the eighth cover version of that song i've heard and um and um, yeah, um, he should have released it as a single, probably. Sav, Graham Benstead, talk to me about him and uh, tell me tell me something you loved about him. Yeah, uh, well, I think my, my main memory of him was uh, that after we'd actually gone up, uh, I mean, it was it was great for us, but you know, when we actually went up, it was the first year of the uh, no back pass rule of the goalie not being able to pick the ball up from a back pass, 
And that's when we realised that Graham Benstead was, had great hands but crap feet. And, uh, and I remember that, I think, it, I think it was the first home game, it might have been the second. But we played um, Leicester. And the, the rule was very new and no one really knew how to, how to deal with it. And he, he came out of his box and panicked because the ball had come... No, I think he was in his box. He panicked and the ball came back to him. And he didn't know what to do. And he kind of just fluffed it, fluffed kicked it at the opposing player who was chasing him down. And it bounced off the opposing player and then he picked it up, which is actually legal. Uh, but the referee didn't see it that way because it was all new to the ref as well. So the ref gave a free kick somehow. And uh, they, they left the score from the free kick. And since that day, I think um, Benson just, just fell to pieces because he just realised that he, he just couldn't play the ball out and he couldn't pick... Because you know, he wasn't allowed to pick the ball up from a back pass. He just, just crumbled. And that was pretty much the end of his career. And other people remember better. But he was kind of replaced fairly quickly after that. Mark, what do you, what do you remember of uh, Benno? Well, he was, I always thought he was one of those goalkeepers who had inspired games where you just could never see him being beaten and he often seemed to have those games as I can remember at, uh, at Fulham he had some fantastic performances there I think there was one game where he saved a penalty I think we won 1-0 and another game in a um, whatever it was called at the time Sherpa Van or LDV where he, he was just unbeatable on the night you just you know he could have been playing for two days and, and, um, and not been beaten but but one of the one of my memories, one of the more comical memories I, I can recall was a game at Cambridge United, I think, and it was a really, really windy day. And the ball came into the into the box and Graham Benstead came out to collect it. And as he, he got to the edge of his area, put his hands up to collect the ball, the wind caught it and took it about another two yards out. And he instinctively came forward about two yards and grabbed the ball two yards outside his area. And I thought, oh, this, you know, he's, he's gone. And I think the referee must have felt sympathy with him because he didn't send him off. How he, how he got away with it, it was just incredible. But um, a, a real lucky escape for him. But he, he was a great keeper. And it, perhaps towards the end, he, he struggled a bit, as has already been said. But that first season, he, he had some phenomenal games. It's funny you mentioned Benno at Cambridge. It's, it's, it's ironic. My, my one, I don't know how this came back to me tonight, but it was, it was Cambridge away that, that one season up. And... Um, I was stood next to my mate Jeff, Beardy Jeff, and he he was irate at the linesman, really irate at the linesman. And he put his hand in his pocket and he threw the first thing that, that he, 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 he came to his hand. And he obviously thought it was a 50p or a pound coin or whatever. Obviously, don't condone that. But unfortunately for Jeff, it was a £20 note. <laughs> and this £20 note was lobbed onto the, onto the touchline. And the play had gone up the other end. The lino had gone. Everyone had gone up the other end. Brentford were attacking. And he spent the next two minutes shouting, Benno! Benno! And I don't know if Benno ever kind of acknowledged what was happening, but he was screaming at him. He was like pointing down. And it went on for like two or three minutes and until the stewards came across. And Jeff had to try and explain how his £20 note had, had got out of his pocket and ended up on, on, on the touchline. So, I, 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 you know, a, a few points have, have, have crossed my lips since that day. And I, I, think I, I think he got it back. Um, 
So yeah, that was. Uh, I don't think Benno was ever. I think he's probably oblivious to that. And not, but but you know, on 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 the footballing side of things, um, you know, he he absolutely is one of the best um, goalkeepers we've had over the last forty years, without any shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, and that whole that whole era when he got injured or, or he, he was dropped, we had like, Ashley Bays. My God, you know what a, what a liability that one was. Um, and uh, you know, so. So Benstead was, you know, he, he was, he was again, you know, he was part of that promotion team, and it's a shame that, you know, that that season he, he was injured and or he fell from grace because Jerry Payton was sniffing around the team at the time, and so he, you know, it was it was a it was a time where the defence we needed Benno at his best that season, and for whatever reason, you know, it, it didn't quite happen. But you know, I'm, we're, I'm really excited to hear what he's got to say to Billy in a minute. Um, I'm really excited to see him at the social. Um, as I said, it's in Ealing. Um, on Sunday the 30th of April so um, make sure you're there to join us So in a few weeks time we've got the big end of season besotted Pride of West London Social at the Drayton Court Hotel in Ealing, fabulous hotel, absolutely wicked if you look online it's a wicked place we've got our own little zone down there, we've got our own bread and beer, we've got a comedian, we've got a magician, we've got a DJ um, we've got like I said your own bread for beer and then we've got a lot of players, ex-players coming down as well and one of those players is Graham Bedstead. And I've got him on the line at the moment now. Graham, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, cool. That's right, mate. I'll tell you something as well. And uh, you said Graham Benson. Most of you obviously know Graham Benson is as well, but back in the day, not that long ago, but you know, he was there, one of the members of the team that actually led us to the same league that we're in now, the Championship. It is now Division 1 then as well. Good days then, yeah. wasn't it, Graham? Yeah, they were great days then, yeah. And uh, obviously when I come down from Sheffield, I was, uh, I was obviously newborn in the block, but... Um, I slowly got to, well, you had to get to know Tell, Batesy, Millie, people like that, characters like that at the club. And they made me feel settled in straight away. And um, and it, it was just a lovely club to come to. And uh, lovely support, um, great set of lads. And I, well, I like to think I bonded in straight away. No, it's good. I mean, you mean, you did, and you talk about those players as well. I mean, you, you know, obviously on the social that night, you've got, you know, you've got Billy Manuel's going to be on there. There's yeah. going to be Gary Roberts and there's Francis Joseph as well. But you talked about Batesy, uh, you talked yeah. about Cruyff, talk about Beckenbauer, and then you talked about Terry Evans and that. They should also be coming down just to have beers with us as well in the evening as well. So it should be a bit of a laugh, shouldn't it? Well, it should do. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's one of the great things. I mean, I think, you know, we've all gone our separate ways now uh, over the years, but uh, we all tend to meet up, like... Terry and myself, we went to Millie's 50th uh, a few months ago, and uh, it's great catching up. It's like yesterday, and uh, I see Billy on Facebook periodically, and uh, so you know we are there thereabouts. And what's the good thing about um, Brentford, like the dudes that we do go to, is that we catch up on old times, and uh, we're all just sort of a bunch of mates still. Uh, we were there for each other playing in our playing days, and uh, I like to think we're there sort of. Good mate still now. And it's good as well. I mean, you, know, you talk about your Brentford days. I mean, really good days that you had at Brentford. But what is your yeah. finest? What is the moment? And we'll talk about this quite a lot at the social as well. When you get you <laughs> up on stage and we'll, we'll yeah, talk yeah, yeah. to you. And I'm sure you've got a few stories up, up, up your sleeve as well, haven't you? Well, we have got a few stories. Uh, it could be a bit blue that night, but it could be, you know. <laughs> but uh, it, it will be a bit. It will be a lot of fun. We have a lot of stories. There were sort of. Um, it was good times then, and but I mean, the, sort of obviously I've got a couple of obviously the promotion 
game against Peterborough. That was brilliant. And uh, also, I think what sticks out in my mind, the three penalty saves against Crew, although be it wasn't in um, 90 minutes of play, it was in extra time, like penalty shootout. But I just felt, you know, I saved the first three. I think I would have saved about four or five on the spin, I think, I felt. <laughs> but uh, I think then were the days, you know, then sort of, sort of um, the two sort of stuck out in my mind, really. Excellent, excellent. Well, we'll talk about it more, I say, on the night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Graham, listen, besides try the West London Social on the so bank holiday Sunday, the Darky you play Fulham. I hope you've got some Fulham stories up your, up your sleeve as well, hopefully, have you? Yeah, 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 I've got Fulham stories, yeah, I've played there, and uh, I think I've walked away with the man in the match there as well. I <laughs> put that in the bed once, yeah. But yeah, no, it, it was good, it was good, yeah. So we'll have a few stories, we'll have a bit of a laugh, and it'd be nice to see everyone. Excellent, Ross. So the day after the Fulham game, Bank Holiday Sunday, uh, Besotted Pride of West London Social, and you can just get tickets. If you click on the big banner on the besotted.co.uk website, you can get older than then. So, Graham, I'll see you in a yeah. couple of weeks' time, mate. You will indeed. Catch up soon. Nice one. So, back to 2017, Bank Holiday Easter weekend. If you're not chasing bunnies around or stuffing your face with chocolate, you'll be watching football and drinking Pride, I would imagine. Uh, Bees have got big home game on Good Friday, Derby County are in town. Um, we've also got an away trip at Barnsley, as we said right at the very beginning of the podcast. Two, two, you know, they're, they're still important games. People, you know, we may say that we've got nothing to play for, but, you know, I'm not going to Barnsley for nothing to do. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going out there to see Brentford play. So um, I, hope the, I hope the players have got the, got the, got the right sort of attitude for, for, for that match. Um, Barnsley and no mugs. They've had a really good first season in the championship. Derby uh, again, no mugs under Gary Rowett. They are, you know, they're they're still a bit hit and miss, but it's going to be a really tough game. To find out the lowdown from Derby, Billy caught up with Pav from the Derby Punjabi Rams. And Derby have had a bit of a funny season this season. I think they're probably on their third or fifth or sixth manager. I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure how many times Steve McLaren's actually been manager this season because I've lost track. Um, but I don't know. So I thought the best way to find out is actually speak to the Derby man himself, Mr. Pav Samra from the Punjabi Rams. Pav, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Billy, mate. Looking forward to Friday. You buy another right. few beers come five o'clock when we've got another three points at Griffin Park. Uh, well, we'll see about that, perhaps. We'll see about that. But I'm not sure. Should I be calling you Pav Samba from the Pajabi Rams, or should I be calling you the EFL Supporter of the Year, Pav Samba? Because you won a little award this week, didn't you? Yeah, somehow um, somebody nominated me, or I got nominated for the uh, Championship uh, Supporter of the Year. Um, it was an honour to win the Championship Award. I didn't win the overall Fan of the Year. There was a guy from... Paul from Doncaster, Donny Rovers. He won, he won that award. But it was a, you know, it was a good honour, a great platform for Punjabi Rams, great personal honour, especially to win a, an award in a mainstream event and not something that was just focused on the Asian Asian community. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you? And, and I'm just wondering, did you, did you bring the brown envelopes up with you, or did they go beforehand? <laughs> Mate, I wish, I wish. Um, <laughs> I'd, yeah, there was a few. Um, I wish there was a. I think it was um, yeah, a few brown envelopes for the year voting. Still don't know who the voting committee was. I was chatting to some of the EFL how it was all a bit decided, and um, I think there's just a few people that all get together and whoever nominated me, but of course, 
some reasons now. Um, so which is all good. I thank, all good. I thank whoever it was. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So listen, looking forward ahead. I mean, Derby County. I've just got to ask the questions. What's gone wrong with you this season? Because look, it'll not be oh, funny. You've mate. got loads of money. You've got loads of stuff going on. You've got some decent players. Um, the last time we played you, well, we were like, oh no, Steve McLaren's just coming, and he actually kind of steadied the ship because he came against us. It was a horrendous game. I can't remember the score. It was like nil all or one all. It was a draw anyway. And uh, but you guys were happy because you actually hadn't lost another match. Um, we weren't particularly happy because it was just a rubbish game on a Tuesday night. Um, and then you sort of picked up from then, and then it just went horribly wrong again, didn't it? I mean, this season, it's, I don't know how to describe it. Pre-season, think back to Portugal pre-season, mid-July. I'm buzzing that Nigel Pearson was there, but he's the man. He'll sort us out. He did well at Leicester. He'll get this team, this squad performing. That obviously didn't work. Chrissy Powell had a couple of games, studied got us a couple of results. Steve McLaren came in. And we thought, okay, McLaren was class last time he was here, uh, before that whole Newcastle fiasco. Then we went on this great little run before Christmas. We had that, I think it was 10 clean sheets at home or something. We broke broke all these this club record. Um, then February came, easy points. Well, what looked like easy points, and we just dropped off again. And then, yeah, um, Stephen Mack was packed, packed off again. And now the latest saviour, Mr. Gary Rowett. Steering our ship. So I mean, I mean, it, I mean, I've got to ask this question because I'm not really funny. I mean, we, you know, we've these clubs that you keep sacking managers. You know, it's kind of like you're going for the success, but there just doesn't really seem to be any long-term plan. It's almost like you seem to just try a few things. If it doesn't quite work out within a few months, then you just have to spend a load of money and then just do it again. And that's, oh, that's not really good for. It's not really good for your football. It's not really good for the fans. It's not really good for the club, and it makes you look a bit. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying, I'm not being horrible, but it makes it look a bit silly, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think we've won the club. Um, we and then the we had a sort of we're seen as a, a stable club. Uh, Cluffy had his um, bad spells, but we stuck with him. And I think we people looked to Derby as a like one of these clubs who didn't didn't just think, oh, well, he's lost a few and set the manager, but. Recently, dare I say it, people are comparing us to to Leeds um, and Chilina when he was going through and sacking people left, right, and centre. And you're right, it's not it's not good for us fans because, like you mentioned, the other fans take the mix and what's what's going on. Um, it's not good for the squad of players. A manager comes in, he's got his own ideas, buys his players, um, and then the next manager comes along, doesn't want those players. They've got a long contract, not getting a game, you can't shift them off to somebody who's just rotting away or you've got to try and make them work into a system. You're right, it's not a long-term long-term plan. And I think a lot of clubs do are far too quick to um, sack managers. But I think there's some clubs, I mean, they just think, I think they're all after our premiership money. The money's ridiculous now, but the jump between the championship and the Premier League and they're like, we can just get in there and even if we're a yo-yo club for a couple of years, even those parachute payments, it's could sort you out and build for that sort of longer term, longer term success. I mean, that's what we crave at Derby. I mean, I'm being funny. We've got averaging about twenty nine thousand. We sold out to yours. We're selling out most away games. We've sold nineteen and a half thousand season tickets already for next year. That's ridiculous yeah. in the championship. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, so, okay, so you're looking at the future. So Gary Rowett's coming. Um, I mean, has anything changed? Is he looking good? And, and what players should we be looking out for on Friday? Um, yeah, Gary, I mean, Gary Rowett, we were fortunate to meet him on his first day in the job and have a chat with him. Uh, he seems a decent guy, very honest, sort of what I'd probably called a, you can tell what he wants from his players and when he played, even from his character when he played the derby, he just wants them to try hard and then the skill will shine through. He's very honest in his approach, he's very honest in his interviews and what he's done so far. Um, hopefully, I mean, it'll be the old romance on it, ex-player, lives in the area still, got promoted with Derby, he's allowed the season to get older. Um, I don't know what, I think it's just belief. So you talked about the EFL awards. Um, Darren Ben was there and I was chatting to Darren and asking him what's changed and trying to get a few stories out of him, but unfortunately he wasn't willing to share that much. But I think he was just saying the gaffer's just trying to keep keep things simple, he was saying. Um, the players are believing and buying into what he's doing. I think he's using, utilising the squad we've got and the players who previously weren't playing, like Vidras, we bought Nugent in January, and Nugent's just like, everybody knows what uh, David Nugent's about. Uh, he's been promoted, I think, a number of times with different clubs. Um, and you could see if his hat-trick he got against Fulham. He's just there, he's been there, done that, and I think Gary's just somehow going to mould this squad, seeing who we need this season, who we can get rid of, and... I honestly do think, because he's watched a lot of championship football, he did well at Birmingham, I do think even playoffs next season and then Royal good challenge the next season after if we don't go up to the playoffs to go up in the top two. Um, oh, I don't think right. our squad's ready, ready just yet, but you'll see on, you'll see it tomorrow, not tomorrow, on Friday. Yeah. New Jim, okay. Bradley Johnson ratting in that midfield. Okay, well, we'll see. So Friday's coming. Obviously, we've got our thing. We've started to play our expensive football. You know, sometimes we've probably played about 12 games since the end of January when we played Aston Villa, played them off the park. We played Brighton at home, played them off the park. Even though they scored a last-minute goal and equalised, they were like, celebrating like they won the FA Cup. You know, we played Nottingham Forest, absolutely smashed them off the park at their place to the stage that when we actually got our players, Hotter and Kennel substituted, the whole Forest fans stood up and actually clapped them off. So uh, we've been playing some wicked, wicked football. Um, you know, the odd game, but we haven't played too well, like Cardiff on Saturday. You know, we played a rubber, um, no, um, Huddersfield at home weren't great as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and Wolverhampton Wanderers at home as well weren't great. So, you know, it's not every week, but we're still learning, beat, learning our game. You beat Dirty Leeds, eh? Yeah, we beat Leeds. We smashed them off the park as well. That was wicked, you know. They didn't know what was going on. They were chasing shadows for most of the game. So he got on his interview. So that was wicked, but... So we'll see. So what Brentford will turn up on Saturday. So, uh, I mean, I'm sort of quite confident because I know that we could, um, on our day, to beat any team. And when we play our proper football and Hotter's on his game, Canos is on his game, Josephine comes on and confuses people, Woodsy's commanding the midfield, we are a wicked, wicked team. So, uh, I mean, I'm confident that we'll get a result probably 2-1 against you because we clean sheets, not necessarily all the time, but how about yourself? How do you reckon you're going to get on Friday? thing is, I don't think... You guys don't really have... You haven't really got anything to play for now. You're safe. From a, um, playoffs on in, on on the horizon. We've we've got that outside chance. Now Rowett's come back. We're just sniffing, sniffing that opportunity. 
we've got Huddersfield on Monday, then we've got Chef Wednesday, and Chef Wednesday and Fulham have got some tough fixtures. So if, if we, I think it means a lot to us, and I think the players are really chomping on the bit and listening to some of their interviews and reading what they're saying. I think they genuinely believe we can make a little bit of a last-minute dash for a playoff spot. And there's always one club um, who does that. So I think it'll be a tough game. It always is at your place. Um, I think there'll be one goal in it. There'll be plenty of goals. I'll maybe going with 2-1 or 3-2. Obviously, I prefer it to be the Rams, but, yeah, only one goal in it. Be a good footballing game, I think. OK. All right. So, Pav, listen, it's wicked. Good to chat, catch up with you again. Obviously, we'll be seeing you on Friday with all your Punjabi Rams. You'll be down the boozer pretty early um, with us. I mean, a good drink and staying there late. And no doubt Bob will be doing his um, Asian Elvis uh, impression in the in the club afterwards at about 11 o'clock at night like he did last time, which is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Gate okay. crashing somebody's 50th. That's right. He gate crashed somebody's party, man. But, you know, he did his, his, his Elvis thing, which was just unbelievable. And the whole party was just absolute applause on that one. So it should be a good laugh. Another good laugh. So, mate, catch up with you Friday. And may the best yeah. team win. Brilliant, bro. See you in the Globe on a Friday morning. So, Sav, what do you expect the hall to be? We've got six points to play for over the weekend. What constitutes a happy Easter and what constitutes... Um, shit one. I think you're right. I think the bees do raise their game uh, for the, the big, bigger teams like Derby. And I think uh, a big crowd on uh, Good Friday will uh, set us in good stead. And I can see us getting three points from Derby. Um, it won't be easy, of course, but I think we, you know, we, we can really play. And we've had a bit of a rest since last Saturday. It hasn't been uh, no game on Tuesday. So, yeah, three points on Saturday. And I think, although Barnsley have done well, given their due, I still think we can... We're probably due a draw, actually. We haven't had a draw for a while. So I'd expect uh, four points from the weekend. Four points. Um, uh, from what I hear, we've, we've sold over 10,000 tickets for the Derby game with two days to go. So we may be close to sell out if the weather looks good. Uh, maybe just under sell out. Uh, so it's, it's, not, it's not bad, you know, when people are saying we've got nothing to play for. Bees fans have obviously you know, decided they want to come out on, on Good Friday. Mark... What are you? What's a good? What's a good? What's a happy Easter for you? What's going to make you a happy bunny? Yeah, four points. I think would be a, a really nice return. I, I think Derby's going to be tough on uh, on Friday. They're, they're almost in last chance saloon, aren't they? As far as the playoffs are concerned, but I, I, I think we can get three points there. And then Barnsley, Barnsley Monday. I'd, I'd, I want us to win there, but I'd, I'd quite like to see perhaps one or two youngsters given an opportunity there. It's, it's the. It's, Maybe the only one remaining game out of the five where you could you could play a couple of youngsters. You don't want to do it against UPR or Fulham and Blackburn may need the points to stay up last game, so that could be a big one. But it would be nice to see the likes of maybe Shibu and Cole get a chance at Barnsley, and um, I think they they deserve their chance. And if we could go there and get a point, I'd be very happy. Pretty good point, actually. You know, you say probably want to field your strongest team against Derby. Derby are probably going to be the most tactical out of those two. Barnsley are safe. They're the ones that are going to play the football out of the two. Matt, how do you see the two games? Um, just thinking about um, what's just been said, I sort of, you know, Yossesu, we need to make a decision on his contract shortly. So it, I, I would think there's a reasonable chance he'll start yeah. one of these two games over, over this weekend. Um, um, Derby... Um, 
I, they're chasing the playoffs. They're going to come and need to win. And we've said already on the podcast that we normally play well against teams that are going to come and try and win. Um, maybe isn't quite in Rarit in Gary um, Rarit's. Um, can't say that word. I've got anyway on his arm. Need to practice. Yeah, I've got this WR thing that I can't. You know, I, I just can't do. Um, so anyway, you know what I mean. Um, so he, his teams normally are well set up and, they're, and, and maybe they're not teams that are particularly adept at chasing games, but um, hopefully he'll, you know, he'll let us in. And, and, and ideally, I, I, always, I always don't know why I've got this thing about, you know, Richard Keogh, who's who looks like the oldest footballer and he's, he's only just turned 30 this season. Um, and he looks like he's about, he looks like he's about 38, 39, doesn't he? When you, um, when you say you've got a thing for him, what, what, do, you, what do you actually no, I mean? Didn't, I didn't actually say thing for him. I said about him. Oh, okay. um, and, um, and yeah, I hope, you know, I'd like to see um, somebody, you know, may, maybe, I, I just want to, sometimes he sort of, he just blows and he goes red in the face, but I just want to see maybe hot take the piss out of him a little bit. Happy days. I'd like to see Yotta just running a mock and Canos running a mock in those two games. I'm really quite hopeful, if I'm honest with you, um, about about Barnsley in particular. I, I think that's that's the one game where the two teams they like to play football, and you know we, we could out we could out football them if we're in the right frame of mind. It could be a could be a three 0 defeat, and I come home really kind of wishing I hadn't bothered. But, um, you know, I, I, as I said, I'm, I'm actually excited about uh, this weekend. And then, obviously, looking a little further down the line for what we're going to be talking about in next week's podcast, QPR and Fulham to come, you know, we can't raise ourselves for those two. Are you, are you kind of already looking ahead or are you, have you taken those two fixtures for granted now? I, I think it's great because, because you could argue the season's, um, you know, finished. But it's not because it, I think it's just the perfect scenario. Actually, um, it might. I, to be honest, if we were pushing for the playoffs, I'd probably be thinking they're the worst two teams to be playing. And I would think Fulham are probably thinking that about us. You say the perfect scenario, and by the perfect scenario, you mean that we can screw up Fulham season. Yeah, yeah, clearly, and um, <laughs> and they must be, you know, and and you know what it is, you know, I, when you go into games that you have to win to make the playoffs or get promoted, the last teams you want to play are your local rivals. Mark? Yeah, I, I think um, the only disappointment for me about the two games is that we might not see Bidwell on button. Because both of them, I think, were left out there the last matches, weren't they? And uh, I was quite hoping that there might be a, a last opportunity to... To um, boo them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Was this, was this to laugh at them or to, well, or to just, clap them? I think they, they both would be expecting to get a fair bit of stick and that's what I'd be hoping for. But um, having both been left out, they might not start. But hopefully they will. Sav, are you, are you just looking forward to next week when it comes or are you already kind of peering over this bank holiday fixtures at the kind of the juicy ones to come? Uh, I'm, quite, I'm quite relaxed. Actually, I'm really looking forward to the Derby game. But, uh, I mean, playing Derby County. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean... It's nice that they're there. I mean, they're, they're kind of these lovely, juicy little things yeah. just just ahead of us, just like picking the fruit off the tree. Not, not very funny. It's just, I'm actually, it's a real shame that it wasn't QPR at home on Good Friday, then Fulham away on, on, on Easter Monday. It, and we, if, we'd have, if we'd have won, if we'd have beaten um, QPR at home on Friday, it would have just been a carnage weekend. <laughs> I think it would have been a, a non-stop party weekend. It is what it is. 
All, uh, all that's really left for us to do is bang the table and say, we know we're going to thank you, that thank the Prince Pelusha once again for their brilliant hospitality. Come down to Twickenham Green, make the most of this place in the summer, it's gorgeous. And come on, you Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.